I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch says keep watching, assholes. Keep watching, assholes. <laughs> Genuinely, when I was uh, 10, let's say, uh, and I watched Spaceballs for the first time, uh, I do not, I, I can think of few times in my life I've ever laughed harder than the, uh, that's his, that's his brother, Major Assholes. <laughs> yeah. That whole that, thing. Yeah. Uh, that, that was, that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. I mean, the. I think I can kind of sum up what we're going to talk about. And like, there's two things. There's a thing in each of the movies we're going to talk about that I think works consistently every time. And there's a lot of trash around it. One of those is more defensible than the other one. But we're going to get into that. Uh, we're Wheels to Watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course around the month uh, around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. We're in our last month of. Uh, they couldn't make Blazing Saddles today because most of the principal cast is dead. Our look at Mel Brooks. And we told you from the beginning we were having trouble deciding what last movie to cover. Do we do Spaceballs? That felt like more important. But man, Robin and Menetites was just also just omnipresent for us as children and people in our generation. And here's the thing. We decided to watch both. We also, though, and this is important for people that are like to know how long things last, we're in our Tantric Quickie month. It is our last episode of Tantric Quickie month. If you liked long, drawn-out, poorly edited episodes, great news. Back next week. We got a full roster we're going to talk about at the end of this episode. This is not going to – we're doing Spaceballs and we're doing Robin Hood Man Tights. This is not – Going, if you want to deep dive on those movies, first ask yourself why. Second, go go search Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I don't know. Go look. It's not going to be this. Uh, and part of that is because a in general, I think these movies are. So we talked about how Blazing Tiles and Young Frankenstein are more than the sum of their their uh, gags. They are. They have good character work, especially Young Frankenstein. Blazing Tales has a really good core relationship between uh, the two leads. And the producers is less a gag a minute comedy and more a like a spoof or a lampoon of show business and and Nazi culture. I don't know. Uh, by the time he got in his later career, he was more concerned with and, and actually what's so funny is why these were some of the first Mel Brooks movies I saw and they seemed with in the same level of t how they were doing comedy of like just constantly throw shit at the wall. The characters are not characters. They're gag delivery. If there's a romance, it doesn't matter. It's there for gags. If there's this, it's there for gags. We're going to break the fourth wall constantly. Uh, it reminds me more of the Naked Gun Airplane style of comedies, which uh, I don't know if Mel Brooks was influenced by those or obviously those movies were influenced by Mel Brooks. But it definitely the, – the tonal change to I'm making fun of basically a movie as opposed to a genre 
and I'm just going to constantly throw shit at the wall. And everyone's there to deliver jokes. There's no characterization. And as a kid, these movies were amazing to me. They were like, how could you I, – I didn't see Star Wars till I was in seventh grade, I think, maybe sixth grade. But it was it was later than people discover Star Wars. My dad, for some reason, or my mom had absolutely no connection with it. They didn't own it. They never mentioned it. It was something I like dis- discovered through a kid's book and then was like, there's a movie and I loved it. And then I was at a friend's house and he was obsessed with Star Wars too uh, and – He's like, you know, they made, you know, the guy, because I had seen Young Frankenstein, I'd probably had seen Robin Man Tights. He's like, there's a, there's a Spaceballs, Mel Brooks made a Star Wars movie, and I was amazed. And I watched these movies over and over and over, and I think I rewatched them both for the first time all the way through in probably 15 or more years. And I think Spaceballs is better than Robin Hood Man and Tights. It has more consistently funny joke. I actually think I give Spaceballs a generally positive rating. I gave it three and a half stars on Letterboxd. But it is not it beyond the jokes. There's not much there. It's not saying anything. Doesn't have good characterization. It's not a broader spoof. It is, you know, it's it it's on, exists on that same level as like Hot Shots Part Two for me, which is a movie I love. It's very funny. It is there to be funny. There's nothing else there. Robin and Men and Tights, I think, exists on the same level. It just is much much less. Funny. It's not Dracula Dead loving it bad, but it is consistently for every one joke that sticks, there's ten to twenty that just don't don't really work. And in some ways, it's just also less relevant. Robin Hood Mantis was a almost two years uh, two years later direct parody of Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. A little bit of the Adventures of Robin Hood. Star Wars is still omnipresent, and maybe some of it works. And candidly, the cast in, in Spaceballs is better. Rick Moranis is fucking hilarious and everything. John Candy's fucking hilarious and everything. It is a funnier cast. I love Carrie Elwes too, and and there's other people that are very funny in 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 Robin Hood Men in Tights. It just doesn't have the quite the same level. So yeah, I I think these movies are okay. I mean that's that's what they are. They are okay. Yeah, they're okay. But since we're doing a Mel Brooks retrospective, right? Because I wouldn't want to cover <clears throat> Robin Hood Men and Tights on the show unless we were doing it in comparison to something. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do it in a 90s comedy month or some shit. Um, yeah. I wouldn't want to do Spaceballs in an 80s comedy month yeah. shit. I want to, if we were ever going to cover them on the show, we need to cover them within a specific context that makes them a little bit more yeah. interesting than they are by default. Um, the These are the movies, and we're trying to pair them together because one... They're extremely slight. They even repeat jokes. They directly lift jokes from Mel Brooks's career. Every Men in Tights ten, is like ten or fifteen. Ten, ten or fifteen jokes. There's yeah. like lifted. Yeah. Yes. And um the 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 context that I specifically want to talk about is the context of Mel Brooks's career. Yeah. Um we did I think we talked about this in the first episode. We briefly talked about making a a, a theme month that was like, let's do Star Wars and then Spaceballs. Let's oh, do yeah. We talked about doing that. We decided this was better. And the reason I think it's better is because when you watch the arc of a comedian, comedy director dash comedian's career, you get to see how they're adapting to modern times. And in some ways, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's uh, I think, fairly impressive. Yeah. Notably, I think the way Spaceballs, uh, like History of the World Part 1, to be honest, the way Spaceballs is able to manage spectacle budgets at 
obviously more modest than Star yeah. Wars, but spectacle budgets um, is genuinely impressive. We don't get comedies that look this good anymore. And like, uh, there's this uh, a, a bit at the end of History of the World Part One called Jews in Space that feels yeah. like it's directly leading into Spaceballs. Uh, <clears throat> those two together, um, I'm not saying they look as good as Star Wars. I am saying, I'm merely saying, they replicate a lot of the techniques involving models and ILM yep. models. The The lightsabers don't, I mean, the Schwarzsabers or whatever, <laughs> don't look as good as Star Wars. But, like, they're within the same spitting distance, which yeah. ev- eventually Mel Brooks would make uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It, which uh, I just recently watched and we're d- most certainly not covering on the show in any context. Um and that movie looks like it was put together for about fifteen dollars. Um, yeah, and it does mostly not takes replicate. place in someone's basement. Yes, it does not replicate any of the sweeping, beautiful drama of the of Coppola. Movie. Yeah, uh, these movies actually, I'll say, I'll say the the production value is pretty high on Spaceballs and reasonably high on on Robin Hood. Like, yeah, um, I mean, it's a lot of people standing in the woods, but like, there's some there's some bits that are clearly very fucking expensive. Yeah, um, a lot of extras. Yes, a lot of extras, uh, a lot of um, clearly, like, rented or built castle sets, stuff yeah. like that. Uh, costumes, very expensive, that sort of thing. I will say one one major compliment I'll give both of these movies that Mel Brooks would basically, like, not have for big chunks of his career is that Carrie Ellis, I will say, and uh, Bill Pullman uh, both could have been... Han Solo and Robin Hood. <laughs> They're both like I think Bill Pullman definitely. There's a alternate reality where Bill Pullman is Han Solo, and people talk about how good he is in, as Han Solo. And there's an alternate reality where Kelly, Carrie Ellis is, is is in a straight ahead Robin Hood movie and is very good in it. And I think that like while I'm not attached to their characters in either either movie at all, there is sort of a reduction value gravitas that comes when your leading man is kind of. Like in the in the the, the 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 league of a real you know the real the real deal, which is something that basically after Robin Hood Men in Tights, I'm gonna argue, never happened in spoof movies ever again. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And actually, Mel Brooks wanted either Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise for uh, Lone Star. Like he was like, I want a huge movie star to be in this part. And I think Bill Pullman does an admirable job. Carrie Ellis is, I mean, people know him most, I think, from Princess Bride. He obviously has had a, he's had a career where he's like, you know, he's he's in Saw movies. He's in a movie called The Crush. Like, this kind of like that specific comedic style where he's constantly nonplussed but has an amazing line delivery. Uh, in Princess Bride, I think only happens again in Robin Hood Men in Tights. So there is, and Mel Brooks wanted him because he saw Princess Bride. He's like, just do exactly that as Robin Hood. It will be perfect. So there is something to say about like this thing that Carrie Elwes was amazingly good at that he basically got to do twice. Case of diminishing returns based on the material, but not the performance. Carrie Elwes is so clearly the best part of Robin Hood Men in Tights. I don't think he's consistently the funniest part of Robin Hood Men in Tights. I'm going to do a very uh, shameful admittance of what the consistently funny gag in this movie is, even in the year of our Lord 2024. But he's really good. He's very watchable. I think the biggest compliment that I can pay Robin Hood Men in Tights 
is it's an hour and 46 minutes. I didn't like it's it is a pleasant. You can see why it aired on Comedy Central at 10 a.m. on any weekday for years and years and years, because it's like, this is fine. This is not bothersome to me. It is. I don't have to pay that much attention. It's not laugh a minute, but the gag. There, occasionally, there's a gag that makes me laugh, and most of the people in it are incredibly enjoyable to watch. It is just the thing about Robin Hood and Tights, especially. What's funny is that, like, you know, Peter, you and I grew up with like this, like the the college humor comedies where it's like Road Trip and Old School and the the frat pack and and then gross out comedies like American Pie and stuff like that. The the big like in in the early nineties, spoof movies were everywhere. You still had Naked Gun sequels. You had the Hot Shots movies. You had other Leslie Nielsen like Spy Hard and Wrongfully Accused. You had like National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon One, which is the Lethal Weapon parody with Sam. Like there was like a a huge amount of spoof movies before the concept of spoof and parody movies was turned into the shitstorm of nonsense that was the epic movie. Like it doesn't even have to be a spoof anything. All those movies are actually generally consistently funny in the same way that – but they're at the same level like the non – like the loaded weapon ones and the men in tights exist on that same plane of like nothing's as clever or smart as a Blazing Saddles, a Young Frankenstein or a Naked Gun. But it's funny people making them enough that it's an enjoyable watch. Um and I think that's the biggest compliment you give Robin Hood. I think Spaceballs is funny. I think – and part of that is because the the consist, there's a lot of really good gags. But the key that makes Spaceballs consistently funny, and I laughed out loud a lot, is – and this was my favorite part as a kid too. But it's amazing how much it, ho- it holds up. Dark Helmet and Rick Moranis is every fucking moment, every fucking line delivery – is very funny. That is a part of this movie that has maintained its level of hilarity for me. And in some ways has only gotten funnier when you recognize how he is a consistently pathetic figure in a way that I didn't quite get as a kid. And and I, I, I think that's true. And I think that the there's something I talked about with the producers at the beginning of this month, which is that just because a joke is maybe been driven to the ground occasionally by Brooks himself. Yeah. Uh, doesn't mean that it's incapable of making me laugh. Um, just because I've heard a joke before doesn't mean it's incapable of making me laugh. The delivery is so much of the beast, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there are so many jokes in this movie, in Spaceballs, that are not funny. They are actually contrived, and I know that in a different episode, I would fucking rail against and groan. Um, yeah. But genuinely cackling at this movie i will admit like up front i have way more nostalgia for Spaceballs than robin hood men and tights i do i do too yeah even though i've seen both of them a decent bit to some some regard i've seen Spaceballs way more times but um i just have more nostalgia for it it hit me at a specific time it was very instructional to like my love of comedy movies and spoofs uh but there's it hit me when i fell in love with star wars like pre prequels and like all that kind of stuff too so it was i already loved star wars and i watched it after i had kind of given up on the prequels i never turned into a prequel hater but i like loved phantom menace because i was the perfect age for it 
I was, whatever, eight when it came out. Nine. <laughs> yeah. I was the perfect age for it. Obsessed with it. I actually still think Phantom Menace is the best of the three, but that's a... I, I agree with that, but I also think it's bad, too. <laughs> I think it's the best of the three and is at best a three-star movie. Yeah. <laughs> it, um, there are five-star moments in the movie, though. The Padres is great. We can talk it's about better that. Than, it's better than Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> it is better than Rise of Skywalker. Um, and there are moments uh, in that movie that people are ac- interacting with actual objects on actual and actual sets, which yeah. means that Attack of the Clones just completely fucking gets washed in that battle. But anyways, uh, not not the fight for today. I don't know if we'll ever do the prequels. I don't know what we would say. No one else has said. What I will merely posit here is that there are moments uh, when Rick Moranis says things like, um, What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? <laughs> that in any other movie, I would be like, what the fuck is this shit? But because it's Rick Moranis and a very game comedy co-cast, right? Um, I giggle and I laugh because it's about, sometimes it's about delivery more than it's about the actual core of the joke. The actual core of that joke is that they literally called this character Colonel Sanders for, for 20 one minutes. joke. Yeah. One joke yeah. just dropped in the middle of the movie and it feels like they didn't have a name for the character until <laughs> until they were like, can we, like, get another joke in here? Like, his name is Colonel Sanders now. Yeah. Yeah, I think – and also the 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 thing that's so good about the Rick Moranis Dark Helmet character is it's the perfect modulation between his weeniness and then the Darth Vader persona. Because the way he uses flipping that mask to modify jokes, change jokes' tone – and like undercut his own sense of evilness and and um, it's it's consistently good even in the small moments where he's like you know speechifying to the princess they think they've captured and then he like you know is strutting around the shuttlecraft and saying what they're going to do to her and what their evil plan is and he opens the door and then you know lifts his mask to be the Rick Moranis glasses nerd that we that his his screen persona exemplifies and he's like where is she (laughs) like it is that constant or how often he gets hurt i love when he goes into the lewis tully character for a second where he he does ludicrous speed that's a great example of a joke that does not is i was close to eye rolling to me when i was 12 it does nothing for me today. The ludicrous speed, past ridiculous speed, they've gone plaid, all that, fine. The part that is funny about that, that makes that great, is Rick Moranis screaming that his brains are going into his legs, hitting the emergency brake, slamming and cracking his helmet, and when they all get him, he's in that Lewis Tully, like, great, well, everyone, I don't know, let's just take five? You know, smoke him, like... That is the part of the joke that works. Almost every time I there's a joke that works in this movie that like I'm not saying like works as in like is clever or well written. There's a lot of lazy stuff in both of these movies, especially Men in Tights. But almost every part of this movie that made me laugh is is Rick Moranis is front and center in. Um, yeah, I think that what you're talking about is actually the part that I realized this time is when I was a kid, anytime Rick Moranis was screaming, uh, I was like, this is the funniest shit I've ever heard of. And now him screaming and yelling is like, 
you know, it's it's funny on occasion, but like what's really, really tickles me is the moments when he's just small and pathetic. Yeah. And like because Rick Moranis is he's good at both, but sort of like pitiful small man in this giant helmet is such a, an amazing concurrence of like per, like you know uh, costume design plus uh, Rick Moranis being able to play like uh, uh, yeah I guess I'm a mouse I'm a mouse yeah. I'm the tiniest person you've ever met um, I'm gonna need to walk this one off for a while I love yeah. that after that bit there's also there's a great line reading um, when he's like trying to work up his like anger villain <laughs> moment yeah. again uh, so they do this this bit where they uh, are like, all right, let's go watch Spaceballs the movie. And they which, watch the Which tape. is a very funny – I actually – that still made me laugh. But again, Rick Moranis is involved, which is what I think makes – the stunt it's double thing doesn't make – literally a joke from Blazing Saddles too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. And it's literally like – it's literally how Blazing Saddles ends and they're just like, let's do it again but on VHS. It does have a technical uh, um, um, tweak that I want to talk about, which is pretty cool, which is like – while it's happening, it's happening on the screen. Yeah, which is, I think, like, I, I, I think that's a very clever. It's a, it's like, a good technical bit. It is. But where are we in the movie? They, We're they, in now. <laughs> He's having trouble grasping it. Yeah. Not then. Now. Yeah. Um. What happened to then? We just passed it. When? <laughs> just now. When, when will we be there? Soon. Yeah. Um. But the, the the part that makes me laugh is they play the part where he flies through the ship and smashes yeah. into the console again. Yeah. And Rick Maris is like, he's like, don't play that. Don't play that ever again. Yeah. <laughs> like, Go past that part. Actually, never play that part again. <laughs> it, it, uh, the, the line reading there is just so fantastic. And it's because yeah. he's like working his way back up from embarrassment. Yeah. And he's like trying to become Darth Vader again. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and and uh, I, I think that that's that's actually fairly fairly phenomenal uh, with the way that this movie has, has shifted over time. There are so many bits in this movie that made me sad not to laugh at again. I think yeah. John Candy basically doesn't make me laugh in this movie, which is no. something that pains me to say out loud because John Candy is is one of is the, very very funny. He's he, one of the most gifted comedic actors to to ever walk, but they mostly just give him jokes for five year olds. Yeah. What if this man was a dog? And like, frankly, like him eating out of a big bucket of of, of slop, and him uh, go upskirting a woman with his tail is just not. It's just not the sort of thing that's going to age well for or, me in this movie. Not for any particular political correctness reasons. Yeah. But because it's just like it's a joke for a five year old, and those jokes yeah. are not tickling me anymore. Or even just like I'm a mob. You know, Amanda. It's like okay, like that. You know, it's the makeup's pretty good, but I I agree. I actually he like steps on the gas as much as as much as you can on that. Yeah. He, he's not phoning it in, but they're just giving him they're giving him bits for a five year old. I don't know what to I'm do actually with. I'm I, I'm legitimately hard pressed to think of a part that actually makes me laugh that doesn't involve Rick Moranis. I think the only other thing I could p- potentially say is. In a joke that I think overall doesn't work. There's, there's, this is a thing with like later day Mel Brooks movies. And I, I think I'm going to use an example that I don't need to go over, over and over. It's like, let's do a parody of beaming. Beaming in Star Trek. So they do a thing where he's beaming from 
from his room to the war room and he's like, I don't know about this beaming. Like, well, whatever, it works on Star Trek. It's it's lazy, it's 20 years old. And then the big joke when he beams is that his head's on backwards and his butt is where his penis should be, I guess. <laughs> Probably better way. Just, his head's on backwards. And he's like, why do you... I don't know how to explain this to your children, but the butt is where the penis is. The butt is where the penis... You know how your penis is in the front? Penis in the back. And he's like, he looks and he's annoyed. He's like, why doesn't anyone tell me my ass was so big? He scratches his butt, which is in front of him. All of that is, yeah, it's jokes for 11 and 12-year-olds. It's not particularly funny. It's not particularly clever. It's just like, let's do some Star Trek stuff, too. The only funny part of that joke is at the end, when they beam him back. And he's like, no more beaming. I'm done with beaming. I'm just going to walk. And it's in the room next to him. Yeah. And like, that is the gag. That is the funny part of that gag. Everything else. It's like, yeah, what if you're, they get so used to beaming that they're literally beaming into a, a 10 second walk through the next door. That has an element of, of funniness to it. Everything else is just like, oh, he plays butts on backwards and he scratches it. Like, it's, it's, yeah, it's jokes for five year olds and it doesn't work. And it does feel like a couple more, like, does feel like Mel Brooks from the 70s or 60s would have either cut out some of that stuff for the sake of characterization. Blazing Saddles and young, especially young Frankenstein and especially the producers are not gag a second comedies. They have long stretches of no gags. Um, while you're getting to know the character or something funny happens. And, you know, I I think The Naked Gun works really well. And it's probably my favorite parody movie of all time. Because The Naked Gun, almost every joke is fucking hilarious. Like, it is a gag a minute comedy, but it is probably, in my opinion, the most well-written, the best, the, 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 uh, the best written parody movie because it's not just doing like let's do a gag from star trek it's just and this is true if you've ever seen police squad the television show too peter like everything is so fucking funny and yes some of them are eye rollers but 95 percent of them fucking hit and they hit and they're funny and in this movie they have like 20 percent of them or 30 percent of them that are like very funny actual well-written jokes and comedy premises and the rest are like toss away references and like you know you can see where a generation raised on space balls and robin hood men in tights made family guy and the epic date movie whatever those fucking two guys names are because they clearly there's a response to oh look it's the vulcan nerve pinch but it's done a little wrong i remember the vulcan nerve pinch it makes me i like seeing it where they're kind of making fun of it, and then just doing that sands all of the clever writing. So, like, these these movies aren't that, but you can see where, like, it feels like there's a generation of, like, satirical or par- parodical uh, write, comedic writers that only took the reference as the joke. And these movies are too filled with references with without jokes. Yeah, I mean, so I've watched... These movies, which I think more or less 90% of the jokes, like, I think have a a somewhat modern cadence because we've been doing spoof parody movies in this tone for a long time. Yeah. 
And I've also watched High Anxiety and The Producers and um, even some parts of History of the World where the joke cadence is just different. It's yeah. it's more of a 60s, 70s kind of joke cadence. It's, it's Cap it's skills. Not... Yes. And I wonder kind of two things here. Like, one, like, how responsible do we hold Mel Brooks for the horrors that he has wrought? Um, and two, well, uh, how responsible is Mel Brooks for... How, sorry, how responsible are modern audiences supposed to be to laugh at and recognize the genius of a joke that was written in a different era if it doesn't immediately make you laugh? And I... The reason I ask the latter question, because there's jokes in the producers, there's jokes in High Anxiety that are like, oh my god, this is just like corny old man shit. And then it'll be right next to a joke where I'm like, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard, yeah. you know? Um, and I like to think of myself as at least a semi-savvy yeah. you know, media watcher. I've watched lots and lots of movies from <laughs> from this era. Um and I wonder, like, with these movies, um, if the reason that Spaceballs and um, and Robin Hood Men in Tights, if the reason that they kind of have lost some cultural cachet, I even asked some people at work, I was like, do you know, have you seen Spaceballs, Robin Hood Men in Tights? People that, like, watch movies. Yeah. And everyone that was, like, 25 and younger was like, no. I like Or, like, I know what you're talking about, but, like, no, I haven't watched that. Yeah. And I wonder if, like, there is something about comedy in its space and time that, like, you should kind of leave in the past a little bit. Yeah. Um, And in the same breath, you know, talking about Mel Brooks's culpability here, (laughs) I think kind of like the imitators of of Mel Brooks need to be held accountable for ruining this form of comedy, because now I think... A lot of people that I have talked to about these kind of movies think of the spoof as just purely, like, just dog shit millennial humor. <laughs> like, yeah. they think of it as family guy, like, throwing references out. Like, they they, they, they just, Gen Z kids do not fucking seem to identify much with the, the spoof, as far as my very anecdotal evidence can prove. Well, you made a joke to me that Spaceballs was fine, but I'd like it if it was a six-hour movie that that went through all three movies. And I'm like, but that exists. Family Guy did three movies that were released mm-hmm. straight to video where they just do the story and then make jokes. Like, they didn't try to do anything creative with it. It's like, one of the jokes is going to be like who Quagmire is or who this person is in each movie. But then the joke is we just do the scenes and we make jokes. It's almost like a less interesting version of Mystery Science Theater 3000, where instead of watching the artifact of, like, a funny age of no budget uh, – and I'm talking about the original incarnation of, like, Mystery Science Theater 3000, not, like, uh, I think Rift Tracks and some of the other things have just been, like – are more in line with a family guy or a epic movie than like Mr. Chance 2000, but it's like, let's have fun with this. And it feels like those like family guy things or a lot of parodies are like, what if we do a play of a mist? Like it's, it's like they're doing mystery science series 2000 while rewriting the text in a way that like, we're going to make jokes about the thing, but we're not actually, 
in some ways, like Mystery Science Series 2000, I think you can make a case whether it's producing new art or not, or it's a funny criticism of old art. And I would say it leans towards the latter. And I think where Family Guy, those like Star Wars parodies falls in is like, we're, we're basically faux making new art as criticism, but it's, it, it, they both cancel each other out. Where like Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein is making new art that comments on a genre or a story or something like that. And I think, yeah, I think these are, these are leaning, these are stepping us towards, especially men in tights. They're stepping us towards, like you said, such lazy referential parodies i'm using air quotes <laughs> you can't you can't see it but i am such lazy like self-referential parodies that they forgot to write jokes and again the references are the point yeah and i i think that i think that's correct i mean my ultimate my ultimate feeling here is that while mel brooks is not fully responsible for this i think that his from space balls forward the sort of I'm going to I'm not going in 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 Blazing Saddles and the producers he was like I'm going to take let's say Blazing Saddles he was like I'm going to use a, a an existing script as a jumping off point to talk about what I want to talk about and then he made an original creation with Young Frankenstein he was like I just want to make a Frankenstein movie he wasn't it, yeah. it, 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 well Gene like, Wilder especially yeah I want Gene to Wilder. Uh, he's yeah. like I, I think that it has some parodical elements that obviously took his career forward but whatever I think like high anxiety. And Spaceballs have this distinct dishonor of, yeah, like, are you creating something new or are you you kind of referencing the past? They have this distinct dishonor, and even as movies that I like, of being movies that are essentially, um, like, pop culture tale eating itself. They're, they're They're leading into this new future of a like sort of comedy or a boros where pop culture or a boros where like pop culture becomes a thing that eats itself, that eats itself, that eats itself. Yeah. And, uh, the nostalgia mining is obviously part of that. Right. Yeah. Um, if family guy is able to make a pop culture reference, uh, you know, or keep a pop culture reference in the conversation. And all of a sudden, uh, marketing guys are able to go, you know, can we make a new Highlander? <laughs> like, you yeah. know, it, like they they start having these conversations because these sort of um, reference comedies um, have these conversations, and I don't think ultimately, like uh, Family Guy or Mel Brooks or any any of these particular people are like responsible for the death of of uh, a creation culture but I do think that you have to question if like our current obsession with nostalgia has to do with this idea that um you as a person gain some level of intelligence some level of cultural cachet by knowing about these specific cultural touch points from the past whether or not they were successful financially or not is kind of irrelevant. Can you can you if somebody makes a reference to Portal and says the yeah. cake is a lie, um, which I'm now referencing an online meme that's making fun of people that <laughs> like <laughs> love to use the cake is a lie as a way to make friends at parties. I'm starting to eat my own tail. Um, but the point is like using these pop culture references as a um, 
uh, cultural cachet, a bit of way to connect to your own culture, kind of created this thing where the culture started to eat itself. And like the, the most cynical members of the of Hollywood and, and television uh, production decided, oh, well, we should chase that because you yeah. have because a market has been created mm-hmm. um, based on the fact that I'm seeing a lot of memes about the Sopranos in my timeline. Yeah. 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 I like I like this stuff. I like old stuff. <laughs> um, but I mean, I mean yeah, that's that, sort of a half formed idea. But the idea, well, it's not I a half formed. I love the idea like, of like apocalypse going on right now. That's fucking depressing, right? Well, well, the problem is we don't. The problem is the two thousands and the two thousand tens have no cultural identity whatsoever. And so we're in a perpetual state of 80s and 90s nostalgia that we don't know how to move past because what the fuck is aughts nostalgia yeah. even look like? I guess, like, Death Cab for Cutie and the Decemberists? Like, I don't... <laughs> so there's a, there's a very serious argument that the reason Dune 2021 was such a big hit was that it was a post-COVID movie. People were comfortable going out to the theaters. I believe it was the first movie I saw in theaters post-COVID. Um, and... You know, that's probably a more realistic argument. My argument, tying into my main argument, is the reason Dune was such a big hit, other than it being really good, was that Dune became a weird online reference for a long time as, like, an inner nerd reference. And if you, and if you like, read the book or get on enough Dune memes, all of a sudden you're in this, like, cool inner circle that, like, you can, like, if somebody makes a joke about a Sardaukar on Twitter, you know what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and they're also, also cast, they're, uh, some of the hottest people in Hollywood, and <laughs> yeah, that that helps. But there was also like Jordowski's Dune came out a few years ago. Like there, there was like a renewed interest in like it. Kind of has these like bulbs of like stuff popping up. But I love that you called Family Guy and the epic movie Meet the Spartans shit. You're right. It's not spoof. It's not parody. It is ref- reference humor. Like. We we call them spoofs and parodies because that's what they're modeled after. But it's it's it should it's it almost exists in a different comedy subgenre where it's like it's not making any comment. A, a parody is making a commentary on something, it, even through goofy jokes. Wasn't this silly? I'm going to show you how silly it is. That's not Family Guy. That's not the Meet the Spartan epic movie. That is just, do you know this thing? Yeah. yeah. Here's this thing it's in a, a different context. Check to make you feel intelligent for knowing cultural touchstones. And the further it is away from your year of birth, the smarter you're supposed to feel. Yeah. I mean, like, if you think about, um, like, uh, like, the way you put that in perspective is, like, the... The I'm just picking a random thing. The first one that came to mind. So young Frankenstein, in young Frankenstein, the the Gene Hackman scene, which is very famous. They're commenting on that this in the first movie in the sorry Bride of Frankenstein, where that scene essentially transpires about like, hey, that was kind of a weird moment where the monster was not being violent, while kind of being weirdly attacked by this guy that was blind and was stumbling over things and there was a sense of safety that he had that caused the Frankenstein monster to bring his guard down. So what if we replace that sense of safety with 
over-the-top violence being done to him while recognizing that this guy is meaning well and have that as a contrast to the original scene. They're heightening certain parts of it, and it makes that's the commentary, that this this is a goofy scene. That is what that scene from a comedic element is trying to get. It's not deep. It's not anything beyond that, but it's referencing about this is a time that Frankenstein let its guard down. What if we make it much harder for him to let its guard down through a more heightened comedic situation? And if you think of something like um, like a family guy joke, and I'm trying to think of the first one that like where he opens the, uh, he opens the window and there's the the raisin brand son giving him two scoops of, of raisins. What is that commenting on besides that a logo exists with the son who gives scoops of raisins? Like, there's not anything that that's commenting on from a joke perspective. It is just saying, hey, that logo was a son. What if that son existed in the sky where sons exist and gave this? But the, the thing you're supposed to take from that is I know that logo of Raisin Brand. Yeah. And that's it. And that is the difference between, like, I think, reference humor and parody humor. Um, You're not supposed to – I had never seen Bride of Frankenstein when I watched Young Frankenstein for the first time. That scene was inherently fun. That scene was inherently funny even though I didn't know the reference. I have never seen an episode of fucking Dragnet and and the Naked Gun was a hilarious movie to me. If I showed my kids Spaceballs or Family Guy or anything like that, they don't know 95% of the references. I don't think they would laugh once, which is kind of why Family Guy was canceled because, yes, there were people that were like, this show's amazing, it's funny, and I know all these references and all these jokes. But, like, uh, if you didn't know it, it was gobbledygook to you. And – when you look at something that's like smart and satirical and also has a lot of paradox uh, – par- fuck it, parody elements. <laughs> um, I have a headache. Leave me alone. Um, like The Simpsons did a lot of parodies too. But the thing about The Simpsons is it's a common joke that you saw The Simpsons thing, found it funny – and then as you get into film studies in college, you're like, oh, fuck, that's from Dr. Strangelove. That's from Citizen Kane. That's You didn't have to know any of that stuff because there was inherent humor in, you know, Homer as a madman with a cowboy hat dropping a bomb out of a jet because Homer is a madman. And the scene itself exists as funny as opposed to like, uh, you know, whatever the Peter Griffin version of that joke would be, which is like, it's, you remember that time I watched Dr. Strangelove and, and then it just cuts to an unrelated scene outside of the story and him falling out of a, a bomb and probably humping it or getting horned. Cause yeah. fuck, you know, but like, that's the point. It's, it, you're, I think you're, you're so right to call it reference humor as opposed to parody. Cause that's what it is. It's not parody. It is reference humor. Yeah. And you and, and and once you're liberated from doing anything specific, right? Like at least with Spaceballs, it's ninety five percent Star Wars and a little bit of Star Trek, right? Like and a, one kind of good Planet of the Apes joke. Yes, yes. Uh, with actually fairly decent ape masks for what? It or is just the scene of the th- like the beach and the the model they build. Yes, um, and, and they actually have enough model where the that uh, you know the space balls have to repel down the side of the 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 head. 
Like, that's... that is. Oh, and a kind of good alien joke, even though it's a rap. And a kind of good alien joke, even though I would actually put that... What? John Hurt is in John Hurt is in this and uh, History of the World Part One as Jesus. Yeah, and I really want to know more. I was trying to find out more if like these guys were buds or whatever. Like, well, yeah, they were because he uh, that seem more. John Hurt seems like such a. I love John Hurt is one of my favorite actors, and he seems like a, such a serious dude. <laughs> well, remember, uh, but they were friends because Mel Brooks produced uh, Elephant Man and mm-hmm. took his name off. Yep. And, and b- that was like, that was before that was before History of the World Part One, and obviously before Space. Yeah, but David so. Lynch shows up in Family Guy to make fun of himself. He doesn't show up in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights to make fun of himself. Um, but uh, well, he was he was doing Twin Peaks, I think. In that yeah, my, my my this is unrelated to everything. This is an asterisk on an asterisk. But my theory is that that South Park episode where they made fun of Family Guy was so brutal to the writers that they genuinely changed the trajectory of the entire Family Guy universe and the American Dad thing because they were like, we gotta... And then American Dad is not as focused on reference humor. It's much more... Almost about, not like, at all after the first couple seasons. It, yeah. I don't think it's... I don't think it's... I don't think it's a... I think it's American War on Terror and Masculinity parody. But I, is, I stopped yes. watching it a long time ago. It's a parody of America, but it's far more character-based than any... 100%. Of, any of those shows. Anyways, this is asterisk on an asterisk, but I'll say... Um, the John Hurt parody in this, uh, in Alien, uh, is in a scene in the movie that genuinely should not exist. The whole diner scene is just... It's terrible. It just kills the pacing. You're like, why are we here? Um, there's almost no jokes except for that... Um, the Lone tail, Star the and, tail, and, yeah, yeah. Lone, Lone Star is is sad, and yeah, there's a tail up the skirt from Barf. Whatever, Barf. Um, how do you feel about the Xenomorph coming out and singing a, the Ragtime song? What is what is the name of that song? Uh, it, it's the it's the Warner Brothers Frog. Hello, song. my lady. Hello, my yeah. honey. Hello, my which is like right, right. It's racist. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a minstrel age song, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's, um, it's I don't think it can't be L. Jolson. It can't be the one minstrel. Artist no, but it was know. a parody of like that. That's uh, some some froggy evening might be what the what the cartoonist called. It is like yeah, it's a it's a it's a minstrel. So so, so I I think it's fun to see John Hurt. I saw this before I saw Alien for sure. Uh, I kind of was aware of, um, but. Uh, yeah, I actually think like the the alien joke that the only part of it that kind of works for me is the idea that the alien pops out and is annoying rather than deadly is somewhat funny. But the rest of it, it I mean that I think I think 60% of the jokes in this movie, I was like actually looking for a percentage like it fucking matters. Two, the majority of the jokes in this movie, whether that's 50, 60, or 70%, are closer to reference humor than actually funny jokes. And I think that that's just – it's reference humor. There's What are they commenting on? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. The, the, that alien happened. <laughs> um, well, that it's fun. Like the the part is funny. It's funny that John Hurt's having it happen again. And that they, that is actually John Hurt is very funny. yeah. I um the uh I if think they had the, the most... whole crew, I'd give it a complete pass. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that there's also something in this movie that we have to discuss before we we kind of you know point towards the end, which is that or Men in Tights. Mel Brooks playing yogurt, which is not funny. 
Yeah. Um, but Mel Brooks doing an entire bit about selling uh, Spaceballs merch in the middle of the movie. Yeah. And that George, he actually Mel Brooks. Yeah. I, I wanted to talk about. Now. I wanted to talk about this too. Uh, We've only heard Mel Brooks' side of the story, as far as I know, and Mel Brooks does have a, a a tendency to just change stories to make them funnier. But the version that I've heard from Mel Brooks is that you personally, uh, and me personally, I mean, kind of <laughs> like he tells the story in like talk show interviews. Yeah. Um, but uh, is that he went to George Lucas, he says, I'm going to do this movie, I'm going to do this, this, and this in it, I'm going to play a, you know, a fake Yoda. And George Lucas is like, that'd be really, that'd be really funny, but just don't sell any Spaceballs merch and we're not going to sue you. Yeah, because he said that, he said specifically that your merchandise is going to look just like my merchandise. Like, if you sell a dark helmet, it's just going to look like a Darth Vader. So, I'll let you make the movie, but you're not allowed to sell any merchandise and yeah mel brooks wrote a whole scene based on that interaction in the middle of the movie about how important the merchandise because at this point remember spaceballs comes out four years after from the jedi it's actually why from a critical perspective people are like why the fuck are you doing this now like no one cares about star wars anymore but the only thing that still mattered to George Lucas at that point from Star Wars was all of his merchandising re- revenue. And then eventually that kind of became the only thing that George Lucas cared about. But that's a he whole different conversation. literally changed his scripts because he was like, "This I need to introduce this cool guy. So one kid goes, oh, I recognize him from the movie. Mom, get me this in Toys R Us. Yeah, like that's, 100%. And fucking motherfucker, it worked. I had so much Star Wars shit as a kid. I knew all the characters. They licensed it out like pre prequels. They had like those uh, those magic like customizable card game stuff, yes. and everything had a fucking. I knew what every goddamn name was. Aaron, why did I have a Bib Fortuna action figure? <laughs> why on God's green earth? There's just like a little like ILM or St- I don't even know who fucking did it. Uh, there's just a little like joke, not a joke, a little creepy gr- goon henchman character. <laughs> They all, they all had names. They all had stories in those, like, Tales of Mos Eisley or whatever, those books. And we I all went, I, have, I already have a Jabba, but I need a Bib Fortuna. I need Fortuna. Bib Fortuna. Gotta have Bibs. I'm not uh, sure if Salacious Crumb came with Jabba, Jabba or, or if I just lost him really fast. <laughs> he did say that, and uh, apparently George Lucas did like this movie quite a lot. Again, that's coming from Mel Brooks. But um, I, I feel like the thing about George Lucas is that he... All of his interests don't align with my interests at all. <laughs> what makes, for the most part, of like what makes movies good and like uh, how what how important writing stupid stuff is. But um, I do think that he does seem to have a good sense of humor about himself. He seems like there are so many Star guy. Wars parodies, and he could have he could have been way more litigious. And I he never was litigious, like in any no. capacity. So. No, uh, um, having a zillion billion dollars tends to help that. Um, yeah, I guess. It's, I, w- I, too, would have a great sense of humor if I had $3 billion. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, let's, I'm, let's just, I'm to... just stacking numbers. I'm assuming he has, like, two, like $1.5 billion after he gave away a big chunk of it. He, he gave away a lot of money after. Um, yeah. uh, but anyways, and not to a foundation where he just basically enriches himself in a new way. I think yeah, he just yes. gave away a lot of money. As far as I can tell, George... George Lucas is like a good guy, and yeah. also uh, him flubbing the prequels had a pretty good actual effect in my life, which is that I was like, "Oh, 
I don't have to be an angry nerd with the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a great some more news episode about how like bullshit billionaire philanthropy is, but I think George Lucas is one of the few people that's like I'm just gonna actually give it to charity instead of starting a bullshit foundation that I and then it, treat like a corporation. And like his wife that he actually like seems to be deeply deeply in love with, like is like a doctor, like a like a, a um like yeah. a, a, like a, a specifically like a high level doctor at Northwestern in Chicago I believe like um and then I think the reason he stopped doing the Star Wars museum in Chicago is he was like he was like these guys are full of shit aren't they they're not going to actually let me build the museum I want and I feel like they're just going to steal my money yeah uh George Lucas great guy really good story coming up or in the 60s 70s and 80s okay writer not a good director no, I would argue. I would argue he stopped being a decent director in like the mid seventies. Well, I mean, there's a really good documentary that I don't even know if I have anymore. I don't know if it's on the newer Blu-rays that came with the DVD set of Star Wars. That basically, it almost like demystified the first Star Wars because there's so much detail about the sets and how it was made, and shows the first cut and the edit and the directing. And I know it's like common nerd knowledge that that movie was saved in editing and score, but man, when you watch that documentary, you're like, "Holy shit, this movie could have sucked so goddamn hard." Um, I mean, like every movie, every sci-fi. I know, but like 70s. this. This one specifically, like, if, if you ever... I forget what it's called. It might be called, like, Empire no, of Dreams I'm or something. I'm saying that there's a million shitty it's movies true. before and, and after Star Wars that are about, like, guy takes on a space empire, and they yeah. are almost all unanimously cornball shitty. Oh, yeah. They're, they're terrible. But, like, it was a weird thing where I had trouble watching Star Wars and not just seeing cardboard sets and terrible like takes for like a few years because that documentary was so interesting at like playing back anyways so let's talk a little bit let's talk a little bit about robin Hamantite. so robin so first of all Spaceballs not really a financial success it has a 25 million dollar budget which is probably like a billion dollars today it makes 35 million not not big I mean, we were talking about with blazing saddles that it did 60 times its budget we're not in that territory i expected robin Hamantites to not be a financial success it is. It actually made four times its budget, 20 million, 80 million. It it was it was pretty successful. 20th Century Fox was happy with it. Um uh, Mel Brooks also made a Mel Brooks had been somewhat like parody Robin Curious for a very long time. He made a TV show that I almost ordered yesterday actually because it was not available forever and I found it on Amazon through their imprint label has it. Um it's called When Things Were Rotten. In 1975, he created a television show that was a parody of Robin Hood. Um, I've heard, if you trust Amazon reviews, some are like, this is the funniest show I've ever seen. Thank God I can finally watch it. And some are like, all of you idiots just like this because you you think it's a secret show. I have no idea. Maybe I'll buy it. Maybe I'll watch a couple episodes. I have no idea. But someone else, this writer was trying to, like, after he saw Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, is like, I'm going to write a Robin Hood parody. Mel Brooks got involved. He told he said that it was 80% completed and he added 20% of the joke. So if this feels more like a comedy script from a young screenwriter who saw Naked Gun Airplane Spaceballs, it is. 
Mel Brooks had less of a hand in this than a lot of his other stuff. He obviously directed it. He also is the first time he doesn't have a starring role since fucking Young Frankenstein. He has a minor role. I kind of forgot he was even in this movie. Um, <clears throat> the big get is Carrie Elwes doing his Princess Bride thing one other time. And it's funny. And it's amazing. I think Richard Lewis is very funny in this movie. He is very and funny I think- in this. In a, in a contradictory um, I think he's funny in this movie because of how little he seems to give a shit. Yeah, and about anything. Like, yeah. um, and I think most of the jokes, even Carrie Elwes's jokes, are not very good. The part of this movie that consistently makes me laugh, and I don't need to admit this. I I understand. I'm saying this out of free will. I don't think it's great, <laughs> but I am. I, the, every, almost every single, what's his name, Pew? I'm, I'm looking it up. I didn't pull it up quick enough. So not Achu? A Blinken. Blinken. Every single Blinken joke and line is pretty funny. If you don't know, problem with that is. From a, <laughs> if you don't know from, why I'm being problematic. From a, from a taste perspective, Blinken his entire character is that he's a blind person. Not a great thing to riff on in general. He is, is consistently the funniest. And they commit to it fully. There is a dance scene where they sing Men in Tights. And for the entire dance scene, he gets moved so that he knows when to step. He accidentally punches people constantly. Like, it is not a – it is a joke that they commit to and they use I hate how funny it is. I, I I also hate that I also hate that I laughed at there's a bit where the Robin Hood's house gets repossessed. Yeah. Um for the back taxes owed. Yeah. And um the there's a moment where I think Blinken's like in the bathroom reading at that time. Yeah. And and a like, Braille Playboy. Yeah, he's reading a Braille Playboy, and the door gets stolen alongside the house. Yeah, and there's no there's no uh, polite way to say this, but <laughs> he has to kind of uh, he doesn't realize that he's out in the public now because yeah. all the walls and doors are yeah. down, and it's funny because he doesn't know what's happening around him. <laughs> yeah, there's no polite way to say that that's a funny funny joke. Um, it is. I think that there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's off color and problematic that I don't think is funny. Yeah. Um, but uh, that particular joke made me laugh a lot. It also is at the tail end of a fairly expensive looking set getting moved off of a <laughs> off of a stage, like rolled yeah. off of a stage. Yeah. Like it, I was kind of impressed that how much money they spent on that house. And then all of a sudden the house is missing and you're like, who's this fucking guy? Like, it's I was queued up to think it was funny. Yeah, and, and he's he's very fu- like he's he uh, he's played by Mark Blankenfield, who like you probably know from random guest stars of TV's you shows you watch the nineties, but he was on Fridays, which is like where he um you might know him from uh if you're older than us. But like I kind of recognize him, but it's a very funny performance and the 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 commitment to the bit while Again, it is. It's 
it is not great humor. I am ashamed that it was funny to me every single goddamn time. There, every single lot they of do. jokes. That, there's a few jokes in this movie that are there that you're like, oh my god, that's so irreverent. That's not a joke. Um, but well, it's, it's, so irreverent. it's like it's like when he's the lookout, like the like, what are you doing? I'm guessing. I guess no one's coming. <laughs> I can't even get like it is. I don't like. I don't know the way that they use him consistently is it's it's funny. It's not good, but it's it is really funny. Yeah, it's the only thing that works almost every time for me. Yeah, I will say. Um, but it makes me feel. Deep I was ex- I was expecting to have guilty laughs for line readings from Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Um, because he genuinely used to be a very talented stand-up before he committed yeah. his uh, life to being a right-wing crank and um, nimby. Like just a yeah. just every time we find out more about modern-day Dave Chappelle, you're like, why did you come back to Hollywood? Oh yeah. And the other uh, thing is eight million dollars. <laughs> sure. The thing it. that's so the thing that's so frustrating about Dave Chappelle as opposed to like some of these other right-wing cranks, it's that. A lot of those people that become like right wing stand up comics is because they are legitimately not fu- like Dennis Miller is maybe the least funniest person on the planet Earth, but because he says global warming isn't real, he can sell out shows of people that like do applaud that shit. Dave Chappelle is a legitimately funny comic who could just be a funny comic and still sell out arenas and do Netflix specials, and instead he is committed to. Fucking turfism or whatever. Yeah, essentially uh, spewing hate and getting paid millions of dollars yeah. to do it. Uh, good work if you can get it. Uh, we should all be so lucky as to be canceled. I was expecting, even though he's not a very good um, TV actor, he's ne- he never was a very good TV actor. Like I have, I think Half Baked is kind of a funny movie, but he's so bad in it. Um, yeah, everyone else is up. everyone else is funny and half baked. <laughs> yeah, he's just unnatural and like he doesn't. He, he his natural charm is kind of clearly um, subsumed by the fact that he feels uncomfortable being in that kind of frame. Yeah. Um, and he never had to learn how to be like particularly good on on camera because he uh, the Chappelle Show ended up being his project that he got to control and hire everybody yeah. that he liked and he ended up being far more comfortable on camera when he fully controlled the the production which is a great way to do it no knock on that whatsoever yeah. uh, he is not funny in this movie and I At actually all. don't blame him yeah even though he's a bad actor I don't <laughs> blame him for that at all the movie unlike Blazing Saddles, which is a movie that has fully about race, has black representation in the writer's staff, and Richard Pryor jokes bleed through the screen. You can you can see them on screen. Yeah. In this, it's written by three white guys, um, and uh, the most of the jokes uh, involving black characters are. It would be really irreverent if we had a hip hop, uh, you know, uh, exposition dump at the beginning of the movie. It would be really irreverent if Dave Chappelle had uh, pump up sneakers. Like it would be really irreverent if, like, it's 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 all kind of written as they're non jokes. They're just like, isn't this a thing that some black people do in the early nineties? And yeah. all of it feels, in retrospect. 
Um, like, it has absolutely no, like, there's absolutely no jokes um, that, like, they're letting Dave Chappelle play with. And you're like, why did you hire Dave Chappelle if all of the bits are going to be about uh, what sneakers he wears or the fact that he doesn't talk old timey? And, and, uh, and I, yeah, I don't want to knock this movie this hard, but I will say that there's a troubling, there's a troubling theme in historical fiction and historical genre work and yada yada that pretends that either doesn't have black people at all because they pretend like the Middle Ages were lily white, and yeah. two, <laughs> uh, when uh. Black people are present. They treat it as some sort of aberration, like oh, they're a they're a pirate from a far off land, and they engage in exoticism around black people. Yeah. In this, they're they're doing something that's like a third category. That's like oh, well, I bet you couldn't picture a black guy in Robin Hood, so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna make him do modern stuff. How do you even make a black character talk in old timey speak? Like, the entire bit is, like, we're casting black people and we're just going to have them behave like normal modern black people in 1993. And it's, like, you can't let him have fun fun in the genre setting at all. You just have to make him be, like, a guy, a street smart guy from South Central L.A. Like, it's so boring. Yeah, and and some of it, though, is just fully them doing Morgan Freeman and Prince of Thieves, right? But I remember, God, we did that episode so long ago i remember our take on that was that it was good we were like this is good i i would remember that being our take was that our take did a good job with what he he had but i remember i I remember us thinking it was not problematic have we been doing this show too long that we can't remember if we liked a movie or not (laughs) well i I think we were mixed on the movie (laughs) Um, for sure. Is this a sign we need to retire in 2025? I mean, we can't remember what we Peter, said. Peter, we did that episode in 2016. It's 2024. I can't remember what I thought about most movies three weeks ago. I'm going to tell yeah. you something. So, but yeah, do you um, know what I'm saying, though? That, like, there's a problematic thread that people can't imagine people of color in, like, these settings. And so they're just, like, they just throw up their hands and come up with I know, they just throw, shit. like, ephemeral of, like... Uh, rap music, pump up sneakers. Like I'm surprised there wasn't a big dick joke. Like it's it's just all it's all it's how, all caricature stuff. How did he not do a big dick joke? I know he does of... one in every one of his movies. I know. <laughs> uh, he does one in History of the World Part One with Gregory Hines too. Yeah, he loves big dick jokes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this movie, uh, the only other funny part of this movie that is also completely out of place and doesn't belong in it, but it makes it makes me laugh very hard, is the random Dom DeLuise as the Godfather. Um, that makes that whole it's all Dom De, DeLuise. It makes me laugh quite a bit. Yeah, I don't know. I don't totally know why it makes me laugh, but Dom DeLuise getting to be just like a mad person in power <laughs> is very funny. Well, and also just like the whole like, uh, is your lizard okay? Well, you know, at this age, uh, oh, oh yeah, he's good. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> like, why does he have a pet lizard that he then revives that starts moving like a fucking animatronic raptor from Jurassic? Like, it doesn't. It's it's silly and Dom DeLuise is very good at it like that again it is so disconnected from anything else that needs to be in the movie but it is it's funny it's like a fucking Saturday Night Live skit that is funny in the middle of it 
Yeah, yeah. It is it is a moment that feels Mel Brooksy because it feels like him and Dom DeLuise were fucking around and they were like, what do you want to do here? Yeah. Uh, but it, it is a very, very funny scene that also doesn't belong in the movie because um, it doesn't make any yeah. sense. Yeah. And there's, there's a bunch of stuff in here that as a kid made me laugh a lot. Um, like, but is now not very funny. Um, one point is there's a screaming kid that runs up to him and then runs away from him, screams into the camera. As a kid, I thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Um, and it, it, watching that moment and it not making me laugh uh, at all made me realize, I was reading some reviews at the time and certain people called this movie lazy. And we talked about people calling the end of Blazing Saddles lazy. And Brooks's manic pacing in his movies, the sort of like madcap, screamy pacing, can at times kind of elude laziness because it's so energetic. Yeah. <laughs> it's somebody very doing some doing nothing very, very quickly looks a lot like they're doing something, right? Mm-hmm. Um But like I think that there are moments in this movie that sure they read as lazy to me but like honestly a lot of this movie reads as desperate to me it reads as desperately clawing back to a a sense of the past and clawing back to like oh man it would be nice to have another big hit like one of my previous hits and it doesn't read as lazy to me even when he's doing things like a black sheriff, why not? It worked in Blazing Saddles. Like, even that bullshit um, feels desperate to me. It feels like they're like, well, this is a meta joke about a movie that you guys are probably thinking about while you're watching this movie, right? Like, like he's trying to jump ahead of what the audience expectations are. And it feels like these movies are kind of imbued with a desperation that I don't like to see Mel Brooks imbued with, um, as somebody who I'm, I'm quite still a bit attached to, um, it does not feel lazy to me. It feels like he's desperately striking out, trying to, to figure out where his place in Hollywood is. And mm-hmm. I feel like what feels as lazy is Dracula dead and loving it, where he's just like, just redo the scene, but make, make it look like it cost $8. <laughs> yeah, I do, do think... I, I mean, I, I think we're getting a progression of laziness. Now, I think History of the World Part 1 is a funny movie that is not lazy. It's not But lazy. it is. It's not lazy at all. But it is uh, very cat. It's very it's, – it's funny stuff tempered with – like, I, I – you said it right. Like, this is old man funny shit. Like, this is not funny in any capacity. But I could see – it's kind of it's it's where dad jokes come from. It's this idea of like I enjoy making this joke because of how bad it is, and like they come from that Mel Brooks Catskill fucking. That's what it is. Um, the fact that we had the audacity to make a joke that we know is not funny and is eye rolling is the is the joke. And then there's like legitimately amazing stuff in that movie, like the Spanish Inquisition song that I could probably sing note for note that I absolutely love. Silent Movie and High Anxiety are two movies that did nothing for me when I watched them. Maybe I'd get more out of them now, but I also don't think they're lazy. Mel Brooks loved Hitchcock and he was doing, trying to do something with that and silent movies. I think what you have with, and I think it's a progression. I think the progression from Spaceballs to Dracula Dead and Loving is a progression of, eh, 
Who cares? Um, and, and like that, you know, when you talk about like what they said about Blazing Saddles where they put like, don't be nice. And they sat in writer's room like a TV show and tried to come up with what is the funniest thing? What is the cleverest joke? What is the commentary we're trying to get at? Or like you think of like the producers where he originally wrote it as this springtime for Hitler and how do I do it? And maybe it's a play and he like wrote and rewrote it for years until he kind of figured out what it wanted to be. And like you think of Young Frankenstein, which is the script that like Gene Wilder had started coming together and then him and Mel Brooks were like, what is this movie? Is it a parody? Are we breaking the fourth wall and stuff like that? And and then you get to like Spaceballs. It's like I don't know. Let's do Star Wars jokes. You get to Robin Hood Tights, where it's like I don't know. Let's do Robin Hood jokes. And then you, but like we just you know. And then maybe some Mel Brooks jokes because I've been doing stuff a while. Let's just throw all these in. People will love it. Uh, I do think it's a progression of laziness from people that like did similar content, but were like committed to what they were trying to do with just. Hell, kid, you wrote a script about Robin Hood. Sure, I'm gonna add a few Mel Brookism and let's shoot this motherfucker. Like. You know, and then Dracula Dead loving it, which is like Brooks and Leslie Nielsen, no one tries <laughs> because just those two being existing is good enough. So, yeah, yeah, I, I do think it's a progression of 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 laziness where I think and the movies are less funny as a result. Spaceballs is is less funny than Young Frankenstein, less interesting than Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles. I think even History of the World Part One. And, uh, you know, Robin Hood Men in Tights is kind of a shrug with a few funny moments. And then Dracula Den loving it. Yeah, I saw that in junior high. Like, that was part of my progression of, like, I'm going to watch Monty Python. I'm going to watch Mel Brooks movies. And I watched Dracula Den loving it. I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. How could something with Leslie Nielsen and Mel Brooks be this bad? And uh, I was at the perfect age to love that movie. And it's that unfunny and uninteresting. And, yeah, he stopped making movies yeah. <laughs> after – afterwards so yeah i think you know i think but i also can't think of anyone more influential to comedy as a whole like and for better for better or worse like yeah uh, you can't you can't i'm not i'm not condemning him for all the shitty imitators that came but uh yeah his uh his there's a reason no one talks about space. Like, it's interesting that you did a little poll in your office. Like, have you guys seen Spaceballs? But I would be interested if you would ask the same people, like, do you know about the producers? Do you know about Blazing Saddles? And my guess is some of those, because those still come up in the cultural conversation, even when they're being used annoyingly by people. Yeah, relevance is a hard thing. Relevance doesn't mean best. Um, relevance doesn't mean um, actually the most <clears throat> relevant even to the time, right? Like. Yeah. Uh, culturally, cultural relevance um, may actually be picking up on a movie that uh, has very little to do with go- what's going on in the popular culture. It's just, you know, it's happened to stick around. Um, I will say that it's it's always uh, sad when we try and do months like this where, you know, we're um, trying to follow a, a director's career because very often it ends on a... It ends on sort of a, a downer note in some sense. Um, very, we very rarely have done these months just because that's sort of the the, the, the the focus of other shows, other popular, yeah. more way more popular uh, podcasts. Um, but like, I remember like we did a Leone month, and like Once Upon a Time in uh, the West is like maybe my favorite Leone mo- movie, and it, we ended the month with it. It was like nice yeah. to be heartened that way. And what I'll say is that. Like, 
It is it is a bummer that these movies from my childhood have not aged particularly well and seem to be disappearing into sort of a cultural hole. But um, I think that it's kind of an, a lesson to, like, artists. It's kind of an interesting lesson to artists, which is, like, you can make your mark on the culture and change things in ways that are, you know, uh, just, like, impossible to fully track. And then the movies that changed everything maybe stay culturally relevant for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. They may disappear into the cultural, you know, just vapor. But the movies that actually, like, are, that stick around and are appreciated by future audiences, the movies that actually come from some piece of you that seem to be uh, not coming from a place of desperation or laziness, that come from... Uh, uh, a genuine need to say something and do something within a, a an art space. The fact that people, I like the Elephant Man is going to be a movie that comes up, like for, uh, essentially forever. Like as long yeah. as David Lynch is a name, the Elephant Man will, will will stay a name. And that's a that is Mel Brooks's greatest latter day accomplishment. I would say. I would say from in the last forty years, that's. Um, sorry, forty plus years is 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 his greatest accomplishment, and he helped David Lynch continue to be David Lynch. Mm-hmm. He helped David Lynch get to a point where he could make Twin Peaks. Like, what what better cultural legacy? You know, maybe Meet the Spartans is on his tab, but also I think Twin Peaks: The Return is also on on Mel Brooks's tab. If you're going to take things down the line that far, you can do the same thing with Cronenberg too in The Fly, which was his most commercially successful movie that he produced. Yeah, and and uh, you can say that uh, modern body horror and um, the indie space that's thriving right now, particularly surrounding movie like uh, platforms like Shudder, would not exist without Cronenberg making these '80s body yep. horror gore gore movies. Mm-hmm. That just made people be like, "You haven't seen Videodrome." Yeah. Um, so, like, Mel Brooks is, is his contributions have been, been massive, and. I even see now the producers, I think mostly because of the bad movie, but like the producers is fading in cultural re- relevance. Um, I mean, it's been fucking 25 years or sorry, 23 years. 20 years. Out, but um, it's it's fading in cultural relevance. But like that changed Hollywood. All That changed uh, Broadway also. The yeah. Way that yeah. Produ- these madcap Broadway comedies that are like, you gotta see it now. It'll be the funniest thing you ever see. And these Hollywood actors are vying, fighting for these onstage roles. Like, that's yeah. that's part of Mel Brooks's legacy, too. Yeah. Um, so, like, yeah. while we're talking about two movies I don't think either of us is particularly <laughs> super hot on, like, you have to talk about the fact that, like, a lot of things that you fucking love now would not exist without Melbourne. Yeah, I want to be. I want to be so clear. Just because I don't think Robin Mantite's a good movie, I do not think Mel Brooks should be erased from existence. I think he's good. I think he's good. I think he's good. Uh, this was a lot of fun. This was a great way to get back into our longer normal episode month. We took a couple of months. We slowed it down. We talked about only Mel's. Mel Gibson. Mel Brooks. Now we're moving on. To I could not think of a word that starts with Mel that could possibly describe Mayhem. 
It doesn't start with Mel. Oh, I think it's, he said M. No, Mel. Mel Brooks. Oh. Mel Gibson. Mm. Melodic explosions. Um, So we're doing something really fun because... And you're going to look at our list and you're going to go, I would have done different movies. Shut the fuck up. Please shut the fuck up. Hey, just, just listen, shut really quickly. Just shut the fuck up. Just for a second. Can you just you didn't tell you what? Just let, just listen. Let us talk I for didn't even once. tell you what the theme is. I didn't even tell you what movies we're doing and you're already upset that already we're not mad. doing this one. Just calm it all the way down. Please, um, can you, if you're listening to this in your car, can you please hit mute? So I'll just say how this started. Peter and I were like... We need to do more double months. There's so many movies we want to cover that we want to get to. And also, I was like, do we do a John Woo month? Because I want to talk about Face Off. And I don't. And then this evolved into let's do two double months in a, in a row. And let's do 80s and 90s action movies. And yeah, it's broad. And we're going to tr- go chronological. because there's And, and I'm going to say just up front. We chose movies that, like, fundamentally we want to talk about in some capacity. Either it's part of its cultural touchstone and we, like, not all these movies I think we love. I think there's a one on one or two I haven't even seen on this list. But I think we were like, how can we kind of chart 80s and 90s action movies and hit a bunch of things we've been wanting to talk about on the show in some capacity? So... We're going to just do it in chronological order. This is going to go from March to April to May to June. Mm-hmm. And we have a total of 18 episodes, which is – we hope there's a couple extra weeks in there, which there usually is if you go long enough. So, for 80s action, which starts next week, this is the order we're doing them in. We're doing Conan the Barbarian, First Blood, Beverly Hills Cop, The Terminator, Rocky Four, Big Trouble in Little China, Highlander and the Living Daylights – and then we're going to go right into the 90s with Total Recall, T2, Hard Boiled, Demolition Man, Speed, True Lies, GoldenEye, The Rock, Con Air, Face Off. We're ending on the movie that I was like, I want to talk about Face Off on this show. <laughs> so we're going to do 17 movies that I – all of which I want to talk about to get to the movie that started this whole thing. But – uh, we're gonna do. It. I'm really. That's such a fun list. Of it's movies. gonna be. It's gonna be fun. I feel like, um, particularly as we are trying to get uh, ramped back up, and we're trying to get uh, ourselves refocused again. Uh, particularly as I'm, I'm a sleepy guy. I've got, I've got a five month old. He's, he's, he's making me sleepy. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I also have a lot going on. <laughs> Listen, we're not going to talk about it, but I got a lot going on. He's got he's got seven chinchillas in the mail. (laughs) I got so many. It's all chinchillas all the time. Order five, and he said seven. Seven chinchillas. He said there's a there's a buy five and get two free chinchillas. Yeah, I do. I do think what you're getting at those like let's let's just talk about movies that we are a excited to watch. And excited to talk about. There's yes. not one of these movies that I won't have, uh, like I won't have a million things to say about. Them. Yes, that's that's the that's the promise here. Very uh, we have done high complexity months with movies that I think there's like okay, 
this this doesn't this isn't a movie that I love, but it, it fits the theme and it'll be a good yeah. conversation. We probably did two hours on Mortal Engines. Do you remember one thing? That was last year. Do you remember a thing we said? I don't remember an opinion I have about Mortal Engines. Uh, no, uh, I remember there being a funny Minions joke in the Mortal Engines, um, but that was a month that, I, that's a great example. That is a month yeah. of movies that I think people had not given the proper cultural conversations yeah. to. Yeah. And, uh, these movies are all movies that are, I think, uh, at least, uh, at least 15 of them are movies that have been heavily podcasted about. These are dude movies. And, but I think that we're going to have different perspectives on them than, than other people. And we're going to be passionate about them. And we're going to have a cultural context added to them that I think is going to make it this just like a fun ass rest of the year. Also, some of these movies, like, sorry, some of these movies, some of these movies, my dog decided to make noise in the last Leave it all in. <laughs> um, some of these movies, like Goldeneye, don't I don't th- like I don't know. Apart from James Bond podcasts, like have people talked enough about how Goldeneye was like a incredible modernization of the format? Like, I mean, I love, I, I love it. Um, I actually love, I love Living Daylights. Here we haven't covered yet, so. As a commentary, I I like doing the Living Daylights because I do think it's interesting to do. It's basically we're gonna do a reboot of Bond for the 80s in Living Daylights, with which was the first of two Timothy Daltons, and then a reboot of Bond for the 90s, which I think, if you're talking about action cinema... Now, the thing is, is, like, there's so many different ways to do this, and so you could say, well, just do the straight action stuff. Don't throw the sci-fi stuff in there. Don't, like, don't do Total Recall and do Demolition Man. Make that something different. You could say you should do more, like, why isn't there as much John claude Van Damme or, like, Steven Seagal? And I think wh- why we put together this list beyond, like, wanting the stuff to talk about, like, do we – Rambo – like, I'm just going to use an example because Peter and I are both – or you finished the book. I'm in the middle of it right now. Last Action <laughs> Heroes. But I, I said to you when we were kind of picking the list, like, Rambo First Blood Part Two and Rocky Four come out the exact same year and they're kind of the same thing. They're heavily nationalistic, like, glorifications of big sweaty men hurting people Doing is there a reason that we need to do both? Especially when I think First Blood will be more interesting to cover, and actually like kicks off Stallone into his action mode away from just being only in Rocky movies and shit like Rhinestone Cowboy. So again, if you're like you guys should have done Commando, yeah maybe, but maybe talking about Terminator, we can talk about what that leads to for him. And we've done stuff like Predator, we've done stuff like The Running Man. Like there are movies that fit well into this month that we've done before too. We've done a lot of movies, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I think uh, I think it'll be kind of fun to try and cover these movies in a way that hasn't been covered before. Um, and like two very sleepy guys. <laughs> also, we we as a we have practiced some real like. Um, uh, just uh, joy denial in our, our time on the show, which has been like, we shouldn't cover that movie because other people have talked about that movie. Yeah. Which is probably the reason we're not a bigger podcast is <laughs> our inclination to lean into obscure. Um, but um, I think that this year we're, we're going to have a lot of fun. I also want to announce our summer theme. We're going to do another sure. double month, um, which is Hitmania. Um, which is two months of Hitman movies. Some of them are action movies, some some from the very eras we're going to be talking about in previous months. Um, and some of them are more like 
like cold noir kind of dramas. We're going to do a yeah. mix of them. We're still figuring out the list because there are so many fucking good Hitman movies. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if people know this. There are like I made my short list was like 30 movies and then I was like, okay, we got to this I mean the short list for all three of these double months were huge. So, yeah, we're doing Oh my god, yeah. When I, I mean, we this you cut Commando until right now and I was like, "You know what? No arguments there. We got we <laughs> you got to cut it." The problem is is like Go listen to our Running Man episode because those movies are written by the same person and are very similar in the structure and one's a little bit better. Yeah. (laughs) Which I think is the Running Man. But anyways, yeah, we're excited. I'm excited. You're excited. We all know you're excited. So we're going to be back with a movie I've never watched. I'm excited. I'm excited. I've never seen seen Conan the Dragon. What? I've never seen it. So (laughs) I watched half of it and then I like didn't finish it. But, so I we're starting with one I've never seen, but I'm very aware of from its. I've never seen Conan the Destroyer. Maybe I'll watch that too, just hey. so we can talk a little bit about the sequel. Hey, I'm excited and wet. You didn't finish, so <laughs> no one's happy. I don't know how to end, which is also a problem. Uh, <laughs> good night. Good night. so much for listening to we love to watch if you made it to the end hopefully you liked what you heard today and if you'd like to hear more please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch and if you can chip in a few bucks that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward uh it wasn't an implicit threat by peter he just didn't know how to say it but either way we'll continue to make more but it would be helpful uh, as we explained to our loved ones where all our money is going which is all on server space uh <laughs> if you can't <laughs> uh if you don't have a few bucks to chip in we totally understand and you want to support the show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs)